You are listening to Tell It From Calvary, a ministry of Calvary Baptist Church, New York City, where we preach Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. The following sermon is by Dr. Ed Stetzer, author, missiologist, and interim teaching pastor at Calvary. For upcoming events and services, visit our website at cbcnyc.org. And now, here is today's message. Hi everybody, Ed Stetzer here, uh, another gathered worship here online for Calvary. Last week had a great time with Abraham Joseph and looking forward to just a few weeks from now when we'll be weekly, every week, hopefully forever. And uh, we'll continue to, well, till Jesus comes back. But I'm going to talk today about the, the kind of, it's kind of a little bit of a complicated topic today. It's about a higher standard, standard, fulfilling the law through greater righteousness. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20 is our passage. I'm going to look at how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. And now we live in light of the new life that he gives. Jesus, fulfill, Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. Now we live in the light of the new life that he gives. Now, for those of you who don't know, Calvary has a long history to engaging the Jewish people. And um, so even this message, some people might have strong opinions on. That, that's, that's, that's all good. Don't mind that. But, uh, but I want to really just focus on some few things that I think will help us to sort of see how picture a picture of Jesus' relation to the law, the, the Jewish law, the Old Testament law. And we'll walk through and see what that looks like, right? But here's some fun facts, right? Um, I got this at a secret New York City. It's a website, and they just kind of give like obscure New York City facts. And here are some things that are against the law in our great city. It's against the law, for example, to throw a ball at someone's face for fun. Interesting, right? Uh, it's against the law to sell cat or dog hair. Interesting. Uh, flirting actually can result in a $25 fine. Um, and it actually, it's the specific wording in the ordinance is looking at a woman in that way uh, as a $25 fine. Um, here's one. There's no taking selfies with tigers. That's against the law in New York City. Actually, since 2014, uh, uh, one of the laws was passed because uh, this person thought that they were taking too many pictures with tigers. Anyway, it's just funny, these laws. So I didn't, spend, I didn't go too deep down the rabbit hole to figure out all of, the, all of them, right? But it's against the law to run a puppet show in a window. It's against the law. Can't do that. Section 10.114 of the City Administrative Code forbids the use of, quote, any window, and then it goes on to say, for any performance of puppet or other figures, right? What's the penalty for such a thing? $25 fine and 30 days in jail for doing the puppets, right? Um, here's another one. You may not walk around out, you may not walk around on Sundays with an ice cream cone in your pocket. <laughs> okay, stay with me. It's actually a law. You may not walk around on Sundays with an ice cream cone in your pocket. Now that's an old law, not enforced. Uh, but it had to do with the fact that um, it was you weren't supposed to get ice cream on Sunday. It was against the law, you know, the blue laws they call that. And then people would hide them in their pocket. So it was against the law to have ice cream on a Sunday in your pocket. It's illegal for two or more people to congregate while wearing masks in public. Fun fact, right? Uh, that law has been enforced since 1845. I know you want to go down this rabbit hole like I did. To stop farmers dressed as Native Americans from anonymously attacking the police. I know you missed that in history class, but kind of fascinating. Don't. It's a long rabbit hole. Uh, and also to adultery 
is still a crime in New York City. Adultery is still a crime in New York City, not enforced, obviously. So laws uh, sometimes are discarded, sometimes are ignored. But Jesus, however, does not discard, nor does he ignore the laws, the law and the prophets. He fulfills them. And many see the Old Testament as a collection of laws, um, not unlike those laws we just read, right? But, but that's not the case, as we'll see today. Many people think, it like, well, these are just obscure laws that don't matter anymore. But that's not what Jesus taught. Here's what Jesus said. Uh, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, unless heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. Um, All is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so we get a picture from the text. What's going on here? Jesus is uh, is actually, um, without giving too much away just yet, uh, I think this is actually the um, penultimate passage in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it informs the rest of what the whole Sermon on the Mount says and and really about who Jesus is and how we respond to him and more. So let's remember real quick that we are in Matthew's Gospel. A few months ago, we started working through the beginning of the Gospel. Last few weeks, we've been going through the Beatitudes, flourishing are the poor in spirit, flourishing are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Uh, before the series, I actually did a message out of order. You may notice we skipped uh, verse 16, 15, 16. We skipped them because I did that at the beginning of the series because we just the timing worked. That, and I work with the elders, to just the timing, so that I could do that beforehand. So I'm not skipping it so much, but I already did it. But I did a message on being salt and light, which came right before this in order, right? So, But then we get to verses 17 through 20, which I think is pretty much can be called the thesis of the Sermon on the Mount. So that's why I'm excited about it, and I want you to be excited about it as well. It's a key moment in the Gospels. This helps us understand really key issues, like how Christianity relates to Judaism and more. And, you know, how people answer these questions helps them understand uh, also why there are a lot of denominations inside Christianity is is the way people answer these questions. Now, I'm just going to preach this passage. I'm going to focus on what Jesus focused on with the mention of a few things that we all understand. Jesus teaches us that kingdom citizens uh, look to him for a model how to live for God and to walk according to the higher law of love. And so what we're talking about, Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. Now we live in the light of the life he gives. So let's take a look at number one on our outline, and that is the fulfillment of the law. The fulfillment of the law. So here's what he says. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Okay, so here's, again, what we're talking about is Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. Now we live in the light of the new life he gives. Now, if you've ever been to a doctor, you've sat behind the, uh, an eye doctor, the blurry machine, right? The doctor, you, you know, I wear glasses. So doctor switches back and forth and, and each eye and asks, better or worse? And your vision in each eye sometimes becomes better, sometimes becomes worse, depending upon how much light and how the light goes through the lens, right? At the beginning, everything's blurry. It's supposed to be. 
and as uh, my, my, my doctor's name is Michael, I know my eye doctor. So Michael, uh, he um, switches lenses, the doctor gets closer and closer to the best prescription for you. And your ability to see clearly at the conclusion of the exam, hopefully, hopefully you can, is much improved over when you walked in for your appointment. And I think it's kind of a good picture of this passage, right? We're going to investigate this morning. Um, I'm hoping that I can do it in a reasonable amount of time. Uh, let's see what Jesus has to say about the value of the law and the prophets and his expectations for his followers. So we're going to jump over here to actually to Luke. To Luke, It says, and he said to them, O foolish ones, the slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So um, so it's interesting because in this verse, I'm not so sure that Jesus actually believes there are, think, there are people who think he came to abolish the law. Uh, I, I think he's actually saying something like, before you think this, let me tell you this. Because um, later in the history of the Christian church, some, even as close as during Paul's writings, were accused of tossing out the law because they didn't believe it applied to them. But that's probably not Jesus' context. Among other things, he's a Jewish man. He tells us in this verse, he came not to abolish, but to fulfill. Fulfill what? He says he came to fulfill both the law and the prophets. So what does that mean? So usually we divide the Old Testament into three groups, the law, the prophets, and the historical writings. The first group is the, uh, the Decalogue. The second group are the major and minor prophets. And the third group are the Psalms, right? Like, um, like, like, like books like the Psalms, First and Second Chronicles, Job and Esther. But Jesus is saying the same thing, only using two groups, the law and the prophets. In other words, he means the entire Old Testament. Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. That's my theme verse, my theme phrase, right? Now we live in the light of the new life he gives. But there's a challenge for us as 21st century Americans when we consider the Old Testament especially when you use words like law, we see the Old Testament as a collection of books, Genesis to Malachi, and while there is such a collection, it's more than that. It's a story. Um, it's a telling of a covenant between a creator God and his rebellious creation. The law, which shows um, how Israel became God's people, and the prophets, which show God continually calling his people back to him, describe for us the eternity of, uh, excuse me, the entirety of God's redemptive plan. So, so Jesus says, don't think I've come to abolish God's covenant with Israel and with all creation. Oh no, I've not come to dismantle it. I've can't come to fulfill it. So he's referring to the whole Old Testament and he does this, he fulfills this in himself. Matthew's been showing us this. He's showing us that Jesus is fulfilling the whole plan, the whole deal. Um, so it's important because what we hear is Jesus says, came to fill the law and the prophets. We hear the laws laid out like in Leviticus, these individual laws, which we'll get to later. But, um, but instead, Matthew is showing that Jesus is fulfilling the whole plan. Now, that doesn't mean that, that he's done with Israel. Remember, there are still promises to fulfill um, in the Abrahamic covenant to fulfill. But you can't miss what he is saying, Matthew is saying, about Jesus in, in the Old Testament and the Old Testament. It's like hiding in, in, in plain sight, right? It's like hiding in plain sight. You can actually see it when you when you begin to kind of just walk through Matthew. You begin to see uh, the picture of this, right? In the uh, in, and, and it actually starts with, 
um, in Matthew 1, 1, it's Biblos Geneseos Jesu Christu, um, an account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, which now this is Genesis, right? And the new Exodus, right? So, so it starts with like, like an account or a Genesis. It's literally a, 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 an account or a Genesis of Jesus Christ. So, so Matthew's clearly tying this to the book of Genesis right at the beginning. Um, he is the new Genesis and the new Exodus, right? So Jesus goes to Egypt. In, 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 think about Exodus, right? Right. Moses' mother hid him in a basket in Egypt. Jesus' mother hides him in Egypt. That's why I like preaching through a book, right? You get the bigger themes. Then he comes out of Egypt, right? Matthew 2.15. Out of Egypt do I call my son. How obvious can Matthew be? It's not like a secret code. I remember when my kids were littler and they tried to like, they tried to like, I don't know, not tricks me. They fooled me is not, definitely not the right word, but sort of tricked me into noticing something. It's like, um, like I remember one time my, my youngest daughter did her, did her hair differently and she had some clips in her hair. And she came in and she was just kind of, hmm, just kind of rolling her head around. And it's just like, she wants me to say, oh, you got a new hair clip. And of course I did, because that's what did good dads do. Well, so Matthew's like, hey, look, it's, it's the Old Testament, New Testament, tied together, Jesus, fulfillment, right? Um, but doesn't end there. Right, um, he comes to uh, Matthew comes to the baptism, uh, Jesus' baptism in the Jordan, just as the Israelites passed through in the Red Sea waters. First Corinthians ten two says they were baptized. Then they wander for forty years, being tested in the wilderness. Jesus goes forty days into the wilderness. Jesus is identifying with Israel. Matthew is literally arranging the material to show Jesus' connection to Israel. Then he gives the Sermon on the Mount. Then he says, "I didn't come to abolish the law." but to fulfill it. And these are really key words that need some explanation so we can maybe grasp uh, better what Jesus is communicating. Abolish and fulfill. Abolish and fulfill. The first important word is translated abolish. It's used twice in this passage. And it's, uh, it means, with reference to a building, to dismantle it or destroy it, right? To dismantle or destroy it, right? So to take something apart. Literally, when I had the privilege of uh, going to our, um, our, I, I guess I call it our old building, but it's going to be our future building. So going to our old and future building um, there on West 57th Street and ask them, you know, walking around and, and, and you, like, I ask questions like, what are you, what are you doing? I mean, you're gonna, they got to take it, they got to take it down. They got to take it down like Legos, like brick by brick by brick, right? Um, and, and dismantle it, right? That means to destroy or abolish. And Jesus emphatically denies this is what he's doing. He's, uh, and many Christians, many people, Christians included, have tried to formulate uh, an antithesis between Jesus and Moses. This verse says the exact opposite. Jesus is not opposed to a law by any means, which makes sense. God gives the law. Jesus is God the Son. So Jesus testifies that he's come to not abolish, but to fulfill the law and the prophets. Sometimes we misunderstand this word because it can have different meanings based on the context. Sometimes people see it like filling a glass. The law and the prophets were lacking something, and like the glass is half empty, Jesus came to fill the glass to the top. But that's not what he's saying. Others think fulfill means to keep. Jesus isn't talking about keeping the law because we'll see the scribes and the Pharisees kept the law. Remember, we need to read the Bible. Uh, when we read the Bible, especially focusing on a book like the book of Matthew, it's helpful to know if the author has used the word before. And certainly, the term fulfill is prominent in Matthew's Gospels. As a matter of fact, in, uh, in Matthew chapter 1 and 2, Matthew gives a series of stories about Jesus' childhood as they relate to Old Testament prophecies, concluding 
over and over again, he says that he fulfilled, he fulfilled what the prophet spoke beforehand. So we already know how Matthew uses this word. Because even more telling is Matthew 3.15, where at Jesus' baptism, uh, Jesus tells John that he must be baptized to fulfill all righteousness, right? So this is not the first time Matthew uses this word. And in these instances, as well as Matthew 5.17, we can define or understand fulfillment as um, the bringing kind of to conclusion or fullness or to completion what God has been doing since the start of time. Right. Let me let me read a commentator that 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 helps. This is from R.T. France. By the way, I really love R.T. France's commentary on the Book of Matthew, and I rely on it a lot. So let me quote R.T. France. I'm going to quote a few times today. Um, one commentator, uh, France says, uh, "Far from wanting to set aside the law and the prophets, it is my role to bring into being that to which they have pointed forward to carry them into a new era of fulfillment." Right. So that's what he's saying. Jesus is saying, "It is my role to bring into being." that to which they have pointed forward to carry them into a new era of fulfillment. Uh, Again, France, I don't usually quote scholars as much, but I think it's really good here. R.T. France says, The law and the prophets are still important, but not as important as the one who has come. From now on, it will be the authoritative teaching of Jesus, which must govern the disciples' understanding and the practical application of the law. Matthew 5, 21-48, we'll go on to show how this interpretation can no longer be at the level of the literal observance of regulations. We're going to get to that. Um, But must operate at the deeper and more challenging level of discerning the will of God, which underlines the legal rulings, underlies, excuse me, the legal rulings of the Torah. So note that Jesus didn't say he came to fulfill only the law, but the law and the prophets. Uh, And this is kind of an interesting thing. So because later... Uh, later in Matthew, Jesus actually has this really interesting statement that John the Baptist is the last of the prophets. So he fulfills them. He says, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. So Jesus is the next obvious, logical step in God's salvation plan. The fulfillment of that, right? The law, then the prophets, which go to John. Not just the Old Testament. The law, then the prophets, which go to John, and then Jesus. Jesus has come not to destroy nor tear down the law, but he is the final piece in the redemption puzzle. Because Jesus teaches us that the kingdom citizens look to him as the model for how to live for God and to walk according to this new law of love. So, um, it's a real key here, right? So, um, here and, and, and in other places as well, you know, we can actually see this throughout the book of Matthew, um, this theme, this recurring theme. Uh, just as we look back and saw fulfillment as a recurring theme, uh, we, see, we see multiple of these throughout here. So like in, uh, when he says in Matthew 5.17, I, I didn't come to abolish, but to fulfill, you know, we can define our understanding fulfillment as um, bringing um, to that completion. What was God's plan um, now at its at its at its height, at its completion, at its fulfillment? So Jesus comes to fulfill the law or complete God's plan of redemption, and I, this kind of happens in two parts. First, at the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and ascension, we see the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. So the law and the prophets. So the whole Old Testament fulfilled. Everything coming to now is now fulfilled. 
It's not just fulfillment of the laws of Leviticus, um, though that too. Second, uh, at his second coming, he'll consummate or complete God's plan for redemption when he hands all things over to his father. But now in the interim, between these two points of fulfillment, uh, some parts of the law have already been fulfilled. And we know this from Jesus' own teaching um, on the subject. So let's, let's, let's take a look at that, right? Because it actually gives examples of some of the places where Jesus' own teaching has been fulfilled on the subject. So let me, let me, let me show you some of these things from the, from the PowerPoint, right? So when it comes to food, right? When it comes to food, it says, um, and he, yeah, we'll just use a few quick examples. It says, and he said to them, the, then you are also, um, and he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his, his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? Thus, he declared all foods clean. Thus, he declared all foods clean. Okay, so this is kind of a big thing because he's fulfilling, not abolishing, all the law and the prophets. However, some of the very clear teachings of the law in the Old Testament were food laws. And now what he's saying is what God has made clean, do not declare common. So, so there's, there's clearly and obviously a shift in the way we're actually to perceive and to move forward uh, on these food laws. But that's not the, not the only place that it happens, right? Here's another one sacrifices, right? Sacrifices. Um, we, we see that in sacrifices. So um, now it says, if Jesus entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats or calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption, Hebrews 9.12. So now Jesus was uh, the unrepeatable sacrifice. Uh, temple sacrifice pointed to his ultimate sacrifice. So now that's completed and fulfilled. But that's not the only thing that we see here, right? So thirdly, we actually see that, um, that the idea of place is now changed, right? So, so, um, so when, when we actually see this in the death of Jesus, that, that when he dies, he changes our perception of place itself, right? Let's take a look at the passage. It says this. It says, now it's neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem, on this mountain uh, or in Jerusalem. But there's, that's, that's not all. There's still more, right? So these are all things that our uh, Old Testament laws are very specific about. But now we actually find the related to priests, related to priests. Um, so in the Old Testament, there were priests, but now Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Now, um, so, so in other words, Jesus is the great high priest. Now, I don't need a priest to get to the Lord. I don't need a priest to get to the Lord. I am a priest, right? So, so this is, you know, our, 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 uh, maybe our Catholic friends, we would hear ideas about, well, I have to bring my sin for confession. Well, I do, but I bring my sin to the great high priest, Jesus. It says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay, so those are just some examples. I want us to go into number two, the longevity of the law. Number two, the longevity of the law. So let's look at, though, the longevity of the law and specifically look at um, Matthew chapter 5, 
beginning at verse 18. And this, this is going to be key, right? Because here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, it says, um, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota, not a dot, will pass away until the law is accomplished. Right? Until the law is accomplished. And therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called, don't miss this, uh, will be called, um, teach, teach the same, will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. So I want you to miss it, right? Strong words here in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be great in the kingdom of heaven. So what in the world are we referring to here? What 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 is the... The teaching here, it's like because now, now that we've learned Jesus' relationship to the law and the prophets, uh, one who comes not to tear down but to fulfill. There's other significant questions here, right? If Jesus came to fulfill the law, is the law still valid? That is, is the law still useful to Christians? What role does the law play for us today? Uh, the term "truly" is translated from the word that is meant, uh, actually translated "amen." We tend to think of amen as something you say at the end of a prayer, you know, like, like you know, at the end, like old Bugs Bunny cartoon. You go to the whole thing, it says the end. Well, for us, that's kind of like amen means we're done with the prayer, let's eat. But that's not the meaning in Jesus' day. It means a solemn, reliable statement forthcoming uh, here. It's forthcoming. In our day, we might say, I promise the story I'm about to tell you is true. So that's the true meaning behind truly or amen, right? Truly or whatever it may be. So it says for truly... I say to you, until heaven and earth will pass away. So truly, or amen, I say this is true. So this is a true statement. The law isn't going away. He says it in two different ways. First, he says, until heaven and earth, or our physical spirituality pass away, the law still holds sway. Then, he repeats himself by saying, until all is accomplished. Seems to be two ways of saying the same thing. So the law and the prophets testify to God's plan of redemption. They're not going anywhere. They're perfect. Jesus uses precise language to communicate their lasting value. He says not an iota, not a dot. will pass away from the law. The idea was at the smallest Greek level, the letter, the dot seems to be a small part of a letter, like the crossbar on a T or the dot on an I, right? That makes it different than an I. Um, the point here without getting into all the literalness of the language, is um, is not the tiniest part of the law will pass away. This is why we believe in what's called um, inerrancy. The Old Testament is inerrant in its original autographs, and it's perfect. Again, Archie France, the law, down to its smallest details, is permanent as heaven is and earth, and will never lose its significance. So Jesus tries to actually condemns anyone trying to relax any of the laws even though they might seem to be one of the least of these commandments. So the idea here isn't that Jesus is speaking against breaking a commandment, right? Not, not speaking against that. He knows that we are rebels who will break the law. But there's a fundamental difference between breaking the law and relaxing a commandment. I don't want you to miss that. Fundamental difference between relaxing a law and breaking a commandment. Um, I said it backwards. There's a fundamental difference between breaking a law and relaxing a commandment. What's in view here is having an attitude that the law is without value, without merit, and without importance. Oh, and that old commandment, that's not important anymore. You don't have to follow that command. We see it today, right? Um, you know, sex before curve covenant marriage used to be taboo. Now adults, just second, first date, because they've relaxed this commandment. But it's still true. It's not any less false. What about the perpetual state of dishonesty, lying to cover lies, to cover more and more lies? You've 
built up such a web of deception that lying has become part of your persona. It's just natural, right? We can do that. We've relaxed it. It's just become okay. Or even worse, teaching others to have a lax attitude towards that. Remember, law means more than rules or courtroom or judgment. Law is covenant. It's what it means in this kind of context, right? And those who look lightly or casually upon God's covenant will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven, right? Don't miss that. Let's look at the language again. That those who look lightly on this will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So we get a picture, right? We get a picture of this just clear sense that Jesus called for us to continue to honor the law. What's interesting, he actually he actually says, let's look again. He actually says, but whoever, oops, sorry, I'm jumping ahead. I'm going to get to that though. Uh, he, but he says here that whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, there are different kinds of laws, right? So believers, um, are they still expected to follow all these laws? What about the sacrificial laws or the food laws? Well, no, not necessarily. There's some laws that in Jesus fulfilling, he didn't abolish them, but he fulfilled them. So we see like in Acts 10, Peter, um, that God gives a vision to Peter that's acceptable for him to eat all the food, bypassing the Jewish food laws. Hebrews 9 and 10 lay out arguments that since Jesus is the true and better sacrifice, there's no reason to sacrifice bulls and goats. In the coming verses of Matthew 5, 21 through 48, this is going to be the key. This is why this is kind of the thesis of the Gospel of Matthew. Is that we'll see it's no longer sufficient to follow rules and laws as they're written. There's no obligation to follow the letter of the law in the same way. Right? So, because... It's a hard issue now. You know, when my kids were younger. I guess they still do for some of them, the youngest one. They had chores. They had to set the table for dinner, clear the table. One had to take out the trash. By the letter of the law, um, by the letter of the law, their attitude while doing their chair, chore was inconsequential. I don't care if they liked it or not. You know, they just need to learn it. If they set the table, they fulfilled the law. But by simply doing their chores, unrelated to their attitude, it's insufficient. We want our children not just to obey, but to obey well, which include having a good attitude, being happy while they serve others. And I think they've grown into that. So Jesus is teaching that in this kingdom, following the rules isn't sufficient. There must be an attitude of love towards one another. And that's going to be a key theme. That's why this is such a thesis. Following the letter of the law is no longer good enough. In fact, it was never good enough. We have to look past the letter of the law into the spirit of the law. As we see in verse 20, which we get to next time, we're called to a greater righteousness than is found in keeping the law. But that is how Jesus sees it. He's the new law interpreter. He's the new law interpreter. Let me quote another scholar here. Again, I got too much in this context. My apologies. But I'm really, I think it's real important that we get this. So we're, we're going to, like I said, we're going to move this some of this into next week. In other words, the Mosaic Covenant per se, I'm quoting Pennington here, the Mosaic Covenant per se, has come to its perfect, completed uh, end through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. This is what Paul argues in Galatians, that the promise to Abraham has been fulfilled in Christ, showing the Mosaic covenant to be what it always was, a temporary tutor. Now, the law of Moses has become the law of Christ. That's Pennington. So Jesus has introduced the concept here of uh, least and greatest in the kingdom. We've seen that, right? can be confusing language. There are no first-class, business-class economy seats in heaven like there are on United Airlines. 
Um, the greatest in the kingdom doesn't get better refreshments or a softer blanket when the plane takes off. When you don't value the law, as Jesus has commanded us to, then you don't value God's word, and ultimately you demonstrate that you don't value God and his authority over your life. So after having such a cavalier attitude about following God's covenant, as seen in the next verse, it's a surefire way to make sure you're outside God's kingdom. Because Jesus teaches that kingdom citizens look to him as the model for how to live and walk according to the law of love. Now, you've already seen where I was going, and I'm not going to go all the way there. But you've already seen that I'm going to look at a couple of ways that the law is at work and how that relates to us today. But I'm going to get to that uh, next week. I'm going to get to that next week. I'm going to actually, for the first time, uh, I'm going to say i got too much to cover, and you're watching online, and we're going to be in person. So let me unpack this more when we're together next week. And let me, let me just so come to a conclusion. We hear a lot of, a lot of technical stuff here, right? I, I, want, I get that, a lot of technical stuff here. But I want you to see, and I want you to rejoice with me, that all of this is fulfilled in Jesus. Um, so what's now replaced by the law of rules is the law of love. Um, so I don't want you to miss that, right? Because I, I still, you know, I still think and feel that, um, you know, people sometimes miss the two things as, as well. But we're going to look particularly next week, and, and let me just—I'm going to jump forward to to the, my last point for for. Well, I'll just I'll just hold on it for now. But no, I'm not. I'm not going to tell you the. La- I'm going to come back to this. I'm going to address the these other issues next week. But lastly, this is what happens when I put too much in a message. I just got too much. I want you to know. Uh, I want you to see the greater righteousness in the law. Jesus concludes this message with a difficult statement, right? Because remember, Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. Now we live in light of the new life he gives. Here's what he says. He says, um, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now here's what I want you to see. Um, Jesus is calling to a different way of life. He's using the word righteousness different than Paul. I'm going to address that more next week. Jesus is calling for a different way of life. And he's calling for us to live in a relationship with the one who did not abolish but fulfilled the law, to live in a relationship with he who loves us and our love for him causes us to live for him and become like him. Let me say it again. Our love for him causes us to live for him and become like him. So my encouragement to you is simple. Uh, Love Jesus and do whatever you want. That's a strange phrase, right? When you love the Lord, then ultimately you'll want to obey his commands. You'll want to follow him. You'll want to be obedient to him. you want to be like him, right? Love the Lord. Do whatever you want, right? We'll see this, and I'll address this again next week. So if you don't know the Lord, I want to invite you to receive, to respond by grace and through faith, the good news of the gospel. If you do know the Lord, I want to also say to you that you can and walk in the beauty of this truth. Um, I can give you all the lists of rules and regulations. Some of them will just make you rebel. Um, I can tell you not to do this or not to do that. But when your life is driven driven by a love for the Lord, your love for the Lord will make you want to live for him and look like him day by day. And that's the relationship I want to invite you to. Lots of great stuff we're going to cover next week. Again, make sure you bring your friends. We're live next week. I'll be there. Make sure you bring your friends, and let's have a wonderful service of worship together there at Hunter. Again, can I remind you... um, don't, don't, don't get distracted by the fact you got to fill out an app. That's just part of life. You know, people, people travel hours sometimes just to go to church, walk across vast deserts to go to church, and we gotta, we got to fill out an app. I know it's a little inconvenient, but do it anyway. And let's come together and let's worship Jesus together, the one 
who calls us to this new relationship, this relationship of love, not of laws. And once you love the Lord, you can do what you want. Because you want to, if you love him, you'll want to grow in relationship with him. You'll want to, you want to please him and you want to be like him. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the encouragement it gives to us. I pray you would guide us, help us to know you more deeply, help us to see the importance of the abolishing and fulfilling of the law, this thesis of the gospel of Matthew. So we might know what it means to love Jesus, to live for Jesus, and to look like Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Tell It From Calvary. If you feel led to give toward the local, national, and global ministries of Calvary Baptist, please visit cbcnyc.org slash give or call us at 212-975-0170. We hope you join us next time as we continue to tell it from Calvary.